Inside a rough and ruthless newsroom, thousands of stories fight for the spotlight. Only a few survive past their 15 minutes of fame. So what makes for a good headline and what makes for a buried byline? Join us, two former TV news producers, as we dig up stories that never got the recognition or justice they deserve. This is Buried Bylines. All right, so this is episode 15, which means we have a guest with us. We're very excited to welcome our third guest to the podcast. She's very special, and we are lucky to have some of her time to talk about this case. Our guest today is known to us as a wonderful friend, reporter, and political correspondent, but these days she's a bit more popular in the social media world. Megan and I worked with Kayla Sullivan in Indianapolis. Now she's a viral ticket. TikTok sensation for her news reports on motherhood. Kayla, thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely. I'm happy to be here. And it's been interesting. You know, Abby, obviously, I know this topic and I had to kind of go back to my reporter life for a minute because it has been a minute. <laughs> That's fun, lighthearted stuff these days. But in the past, I used to cover really tragic situations and it brought back a lot of memories. Yeah. So before we dive into today's case, can you give our listeners some background on how you got into news and then more about like what you're doing today? So I started out wanting to do news since I was in the fourth grade. I mean, I was doing the news voice. I was on the school and announcements like we are having chicken nuggets for lunch today like I was so into it and I was actually into journalism in general I it meant so much to me that we had the power to inform and to educate the public and that piece was my heart and so it's funny I used to swear I would never you know go on the entertainment I thought I was like the downfall of news but I have to say after years of covering death and destruction and politics I mean the politics part was actually sometimes weighed heavier on my heart than even the the tragic situations in some cases so yeah I I just I think I needed a break and I ended up leaving the industry due to just the fact that it was very difficult to be a single mom and balance that job. And I'll talk a little bit about that because I had, what was he like 10 months during this case? So I had a 10 month old, I was a single mom raising him and covering this case in Gas City. And I came home and oh I- Oh my God. Hug him and I'd be like, ah, my baby. So, you know, <laughs> things isn't talked a lot about. So I'd love to shed some light on that. But yeah, so I left for a year, worked in PR, had a posh nine to five, and I started posting these funny little news reports on my son. They went super viral. And then I just made a career out of basically reporting on my kid. And I used the same skills that I developed in news. And I essentially incorporate it in my kid segment on Wish TV. So a lot of fun and it's a dream job I never even knew I would ever want or be able to have. But I do so respect journalism and the role that journalists play, especially in these cases that we talk about. I think you guys probably know going through these cases, you build such a respect for law enforcement and all of the tragic stuff they have to be exposed to. And you build respect for journalists because they're also exposed to really difficult information that they have to convey to the public. And it's just not fun. It's not fun to share. And in many no. <laughs> 
Yeah. In many cases, it has consequences. And I'll share the consequence that this particular case had with you guys, because I was heartbroken about the response to one of the stories that I did. The intentions were so pure, but the result was in some cases, I I can't balance whether it was worth it. So we'll talk about that later in the podcast. I'm very excited for that. You also covered Delphi, right? When you were in Lafayette? Yes. I I would say other than the Delphi case, this is one that made the most impact on me during my time in Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. I mean, you kind of talked about it, but this case that we're going to talk about, Kayla covered extensively. I think you were in Gas City for a week straight. So we're going to be talking about the murder of 10-year-old Skylie Carmack. For those of you who are not familiar with Gas City, it's a small town that sits right off of I-69, roughly between Indianapolis and Fort Wayne. It's the butt of a lot of jokes because it's Water Tower, which thousands of people drive past every single day, is written in Comic Sans font. And if you're not a journalist <gasps> no, or like a creative, yes, it is. <laughs> no, oh my if you're god. Not a journalist or like a creative type person, that may not bother you, but like I could not go without saying that. <laughs> This case started on Monday, September 2nd, 2019. That's when police issued a statewide silver alert for Skylie Carmack. You guys always want newsroom insight, so I'm going to give you some right off the bat. I acknowledge that alerts like these are extremely important, especially in this very case. However, most producers I know absolutely despise silver alerts, and I will tell you why. 90% of the time we get a silver alert that comes into our newsroom, Within hours, if not sooner, it's called off. So we oftentimes will include these silver alerts in our newscast. We'll write a script, make a graphic, etc. And a lot of times it won't even make it to air. So they can be sort of frustrating on the newsroom end. But this one was a little more concerning because it was issued statewide and police warned that 10-year-old Skylie could be in extreme danger and may require medical assistance. Here's the initial information that was sent out that Monday. Gas City Police said Skylie had not been seen since since around 4 p.m. on Saturday, so two days prior. She was last seen in the 200 block of East South D Street. She's described as five feet tall, 100 pounds, last seen wearing a black shirt with a Mario and Luigi logo on it, black pants, and teal high-top converse. Local police were quick to begin their search. Alongside volunteers, they went door-to-door passing out missing persons flyers. And Kayla, you were on scene that day of the initial searches. And I know that you were able to talk to Skylie's dad. So what was that like for you? Yeah, I mean, you talked about this being a small town. It is the smallest. These people all rode golf carts. Like that was their main form of transportation. Like everyone had a golf cart. I was so confused. (laughs) I was like, are we? But yeah, so many people had golf carts. They were searching the town. Everybody was worried, but everybody was really optimistic at this point. Even the father. The father was saying things like, I'm pretty sure she ran away. Like, she had run away in the past. So me as a reporter, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, we are going to find this little girl at a friend's house. She's probably just having a fight with her siblings or her family, and she will be found safe soon. I was prepared for that to be the situation and then me to be sent somewhere else or something 
something for another story. Unfortunately, that was not the case. I would have loved to have reported that was the case. And yeah, like I said, the father, when I interviewed him, he did not seem too worried. He even said, like, I think she ran away. I just hope that she's okay or someone didn't snatch her in the process. So he had some concerns. He just wanted to know she was okay. But at that point, he seemed very calm and he obviously was very appreciative that the entire community came out and was searching. The police were taking it seriously because I know in some cases police don't always right away interject and, and have like these big search parties. But I thought what was so interesting was because the stepmom didn't call police until later that evening when she had gone allegedly, I mean, knowing what we know now, gone missing, he mentioned that CPS had already taken the kids from the home. So that was like my first red flag as a reporter. Like I was like, wait a minute. And I had knocked on the door of her home too. We had gotten B-roll of the home. Like we had already been there and asked neighbors about that home and what was going on in the home. But that was the first time I was like, okay, something might be fishy with the stepmom. I don't know. Especially, I mean, she wasn't, she was the only one in the family not talking to us. So we had interviewed the biological mother, the biological father, but the stepmom didn't do interviews. And then everyone else in the community, it's kind of nice as a reporter because when you go into a small town, everyone generally wants to talk to you. I feel like the bigger the city, the more they hate the media and they like don't give you the time of day. But in small towns, I feel like they really depend on local news. I think that they really respect the role of local news and they thought that by talking to us we would find her quicker so I did not have any trouble getting interviews in this case. I have goosebumps <laughs> I have yeah. goosebumps I know, you, like I know. saying that because it's so true and it is the reason why working in local news you feel like I mean sometimes you forget it but your job is so important and so that just gave yeah, me like, you're goosebumps. making an impact yeah that was my question I had because I know we get silver alerts all the time and like I guess what kind of surprised me is that they sent you Kayla early on. Did we know some background info that we were like, this is fishy, like going into it or... I think what it was, was that she, so the silver alert came out on Monday, but she was reported missing on Saturday. By Monday, she'd already been gone for two days. Yeah. Okay, got it. Really early on, I doubt we would have sent me. It was the fact that there were, also, I mean, sadly, there was visuals to be had. And in TV, we like to, you know, show what's happening. People were searching on these golf carts around the city. And we could show something, you know, if there's nothing to show we usually don't send a lot of people we might send a photo or something but like I actually was able to get a lot of interviews a lot of stuff but like I said in the back of my mind I had a a plan b because I was like we may find this girl and then then it's not a story anymore and so which is the best case scenario I'm not saying I was not hoping for that because I was hoping for that but as yeah you were just preparing yourself yeah. I was new because there were so many times in the industry where I'd be working on a story all day and then at three o'clock they're like we're putting you on something else and I'm like I, I would always get so nervous but I really appreciated how much people were willing to talk to me and really share their insight and we'll get more into that later but it, it does help in these situations and if you're listening and you ever were in a position where the news is asking you to share details or share an opinion it helps even if you're like oh that's sad I hope we find her that helps because it gives that human aspect to the story and more people are watching more it's more eye-catching and then more people are asking hey have you seen this girl 
Have you, you know, so like every little thing, even if you don't have like information to offer, reporters could use your help getting the word out there. And sometimes just the community sound of she was such a sweet little girl, we hope we find her could make all the difference. Yeah. As a producer, you're like, okay, there's short sound bites, like which ones? And it that's the perfect one. Like she just went missing and we we hope we find her. We're all looking and then you can go into a tease or you can use that for yeah. headlines. There's a lot of options. We're not we're not trying to be like deceptive in that, but like we know from the research, people are more willing to tune in when they hear that sound bite from the kitchen and they're cooking. They're like, oh, well, girl's missing. It's different than the than the anchor saying it. There's there's more emotion from sound bite. There's more emotion from interviews in the community. And we're not doing that to exploit you. We're doing that because we want you to pay attention to this important story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in that interview that you did, Kayla, with her dad, he said that he was at work and Skylie was at home with her stepmom when she went missing that Saturday. So initially, the dad, Kevin, like you mentioned, thought that she had just run away because she had recently been grounded and was very upset with her parents. His biggest fear at that point was that Skylie may have gotten lost or hurt. And during his interview, he told Kayla that he thought Skylie was scared to come home because she would be in even more trouble for running away. But he said that's not the case. He wasn't mad anymore. He just wanted her to return safe. Another reason that he assumed Skylie took off was because she had, quote, a history of running away. And by that, he really meant that she would normally leave the house and go to her grandma's house. So she would run away, but they always knew where to look and where to find her. He also provided additional details about items she took with her. She had a purple autism blanket, a pink backpack, and a blue drawstring bag that said Sky on it. Aside from that, Kevin said they couldn't find any trace of Skylie. Police also appeared to be struggling to find any leads on where the girl may be. Gas City Police Sergeant Micah Burdett told Fort Wayne's NBC, quote, we haven't learned a whole lot more than we've known from the get-go, and that's the scary part. Despite Kevin Mm -hmm. saying he believed Skylie ran away, police said they weren't ruling anything out. After that initial news report, little snippets of information started coming out involving Skylie and her home life. She lived in her Gas City home with her father, stepmother Amanda Carmack, and six other kids. Three of the kids were Amanda's children. The other three kids were children of Amanda's brother. So essentially you have a lot of siblings and cousins under the same roof. And all of these kids were homeschooled and they didn't have cell phones or technology. Tuesday, September 3rd, marked third straight day of searches for Skylie. And Kayla was once again in Gas City to follow up. Indiana State Police set up a temporary command center right outside the city. Sergeant Tony Slocum said they were re-interviewing people who were close to Skylie, so that could be friends, family, neighbors, etc. Police were also canvassing the neighborhood for any potential witnesses or video from nearby homes and businesses. Investigators also called in the Department of Natural Resources to conduct drone searches. Kayla, you kind of touched on this, but the Carmack household had been completely turned upside down when Skylie's dad was at work and she went missing, the stepmom, Amanda, waited until that night 
to report her missing. And because of the delay, the Department of Child Services decided to conduct their own investigation, and that meant removing the other six children from the home. So not only are these kids dealing with a missing sibling, they've been taken away from their parents and their home, which is just, I can't imagine how hard that has to be for a group of kids, especially when we find out all the other stuff they were going through as well. Yeah, and as a reporter, it's really frustrating because anytime CPS is involved, you pretty much know you're not going to get any information. (laughs) It's like, all right, well, here comes at best a statement, never an interview, and it's usually this is a pending investigation. And I think that's exactly what I got. So I was left to seek out neighbors anyone that knew the kids, any any information that I could get. And the talk was not great about this mom. They, or stepmom, I should say. They were kind of like, yeah, like the kids were real skittish. They were kept to themselves. Like she would never let them outside. You know, like it was, it was bizarre. I got, everybody just kind of got that vibe that this was like a weird house. And some of them went on air with that. And, and I actually did, one of my favorite interviews that I did regarding this story was with a neighbor And when she really thought about it, there were red flags and she was like, I wish I would have, one, reported it and two, reached out to that stepmom to see if she could use help. And maybe she just needed time to herself. Like maybe she needed a break. Maybe we we need to be helping each other as a community because it seemed like, and this was after the fact, but she was thinking, you know, maybe she snapped and, 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 and she just needed a break. And I wish I would have been the person to offer that for her. So I was really appreciative that that woman put herself out there even though it may not have resulted in the best comments because commenters are horrendous i hope she knows that someone out there probably multiple people out there were watching that and thinking you know what the johnsons down the street are kind of the same way maybe i should reach out you know and i think that that's so important that we all look inward on how can i be a better neighbor how can i look out for children in my community and look out for struggling moms because I can tell you, being a mom is not easy. <laughs> and there are days where you feel like you're going to snap and you are you feel like you're, you're overwhelmed and everyone should have a support system. And I don't know what kind of support system the stepmom had, but I think there were a lot of regrets of people that wish they had, had helped. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as more time passed without finding Skylie, her biological mom was... <laughs> Kind of becoming more unhinged, Stacy Brandenburg was very upset about her daughter's disappearance, rightfully so. In an interview with Kayla, she said she was getting so desperate to find Skylie that she was stopping cars in the street to show off the missing persons flyer. And it seemed in the interview that Stacy started raising some red flags as well about how this could happen. She said, quote, she's just so little and so innocent. It's not fair. Why would you let her leave? leave. That's what doesn't make sense to me. There were some red flags starting to raise in our newsroom as well. So we kind of talked about this too, but Amanda Carmack refused to do any media interviews and she didn't participate in a single search for her stepdaughter. Yeah. Not a good look. That was the weird part, especially like I was thinking, why are you not out here? I mean, you got your other kids taken from you. You'd think that you'd want this matter resolved. It was just so bizarre. We definitely had red flags go up. I had asked more questions about the stepmom. That didn't make air, essentially. But, you know, we were kind of talking about her frustrations with the stepmom. And it's hard because you don't know what axes these people have either. So, like, I'm interviewing. Right. You know, I know, you know, it was an awkward position to be in because I'm like, you probably don't like her because, one, she's the stepmom. (laughs) I know that dynamic. 
dynamic. And so I wanted yeah. to just focus on the fact she was missing and not lead anyone to believe. Cause at that point we didn't have anything confirmed that the stepmom was a suspect or anything like that. So I was very careful on which sound bites I chose to air. He was physically putting herself in front of moving cars to stop them. We have video of it. And she's handing out flyers trying to find her baby. But of course, at this point, everybody's still hopeful that she's somewhere, that she's safe, that she's alive. It was just, yeah, it was, it was a lot. She was very distraught, said really great things about Skyly that I'm happy that we were able to air to give people more of a perspective of what kind of little girl this was. And she just sounded like a really big blessing to those who loved her and knew her. Well... Things get hard after this because it was only hours after that interview with the biological mom that police located 10-year-old Skylie Carmack. It was the absolute worst case scenario. Not only was Skylie dead, her body was found stuffed into a trash bag in a shed behind her home. That same day, 34-year-old Amanda Carmack was arrested on preliminary charges of murder, neglect of a dependent resulting in death, domestic battery resulting in in death and strangulation. And there were multiple searches in and around the home, including in that shed. But Sergeant Slocum said at the time they were looking for a living child. He said, quote, the shed was searched initially, but she was in a trash bag. And you can imagine if you're looking for a person, you're not looking for a little trash bag. At that point, they had no indication that something nefarious had happened to her. Yeah. And Kayla, I'm hoping that you can kind of shed some light on what it's like to go from reporting on a case of a missing a missing child and then having to switch gears in your storytelling to now this is this is a crime this is a murder and we have to switch everything that we've just been doing into a new style of reporting it wasn't my first time my first time was Delphi and that was equally as brutal you as the reporter you're with the community you're searching like I was looking for shoes that you know the the little clue I wanted to find her and I wanted to find her alive and it's devastating to have to make that switch but you're also doing a job so you're wanting to make deadline you're wanting to make sure that you're getting all the facts you're wanting to make sure that everything is up to date and law enforcement is working with you and you're getting reaction and you're getting all these things but you're still feeling you're still a human and and so I think for me it was it was tough I think when I really felt it was immediately when things like this happen, people start thinking to themselves, okay, how can I, how can I help? How can I honor her? How can we do something? A lot of uh, times there will be like a candlelit vigil that night, you know, or whatever. Like they, people move fast in these situations because they're grasping for things to help them feel better. And shortly after all this happened, there was a little memorial that was made for her outside of her home. And there was a Mario and Luigi bloom. And it just, was like, I saw it and I was like, oh my gosh, like that was the shirt that she was wearing and she loved that. And it just like, I don't know, that just hit me different. And I took a picture of it and I remember I tweeted, you know, I wish that I were reporting that she was found safe in her Mario and Luigi shirt. And like, it just, it was just so sad. Like the sergeant said, you know, we were searching for someone who was alive. Like nobody had any reason to believe that she was no longer with us. And so it just, it, that reality hit hard. But like I said, you know, you're in reporter mode too. So you kind of have to turn that stuff off to go and do your job. 
The initial investigation indicated Skyly was killed between 4.30 and 6.30 p.m. on Saturday, August 31st, when she was left under the watchful eye of her stepmother. Around 9 p.m. that night, Amanda called police reporting Skyly missing. An autopsy confirmed Skyly's cause of death was asphyxia by strangulation, and the manner of death was homicide. In the press conference announcing the charges, police said a conglomerate of evidence left them to the arrest of Amanda. Quote, there's no rationale for killing a 10-year-old girl. That's just cowardice. After this happened, there were a lot of questions in the following days, but nearly all of them centered around a motive. What could have possibly led to this? On September 6th, the media got a hold of court documents that revealed even more heartbreaking details in the case and what appeared to be a history of abuse from Amanda Carmack. So, Skyly Carmack had been confined to her room for more than a week before she was killed. Several other children in the home told police that Amanda was a strict disciplinarian who beat them with a pink belt and administered a slew of other punishments when the kids misbehaved. ISP said the kids confessed that when they were in trouble, they would have to stand with their face against the wall and their hands in the air, sometimes remaining in that position for several hours. The kids would also be sent to their rooms, only let out for food or to use the bathroom. So as I was kind of researching this, I was wondering where the fuck is Skylie's dad in all of this? Like, uh, right? It's very, it's like, how how did this happen? Well, after reading through more of the court documents, I discovered that Kevin was a semi-truck driver who was often gone on oh. long trips. So the day that Skyly was murdered, he was coming back from a delivery in Maryland. He was across the country. And Gas City is a huge hub for truck drivers as well because it's very close to I-69, right off the highway. There are a lot of distribution centers that are located there. So it's it's a very good job for, for people, but it does take a lot of long-form truck drivers like that. It takes them out of the house for days or even weeks True. at a time. Maybe he just was told that they were punished that day. He didn't give a lot of... I don't know. I guess it's possible. It's hard to say, but I guess it's possible that he was okay with spanking. He was okay with belt. He was okay with things like that. I was not... I was trying so hard not to judge, not to speculate, because I didn't know why. I know. But it's... it's and they could have been scared of her, too. Oh, like, she could have been like, if you yeah. tell me that, da-da-da-da. Even I see a world in which this guy is gone a lot of the time. He doesn't see his kids a lot. And then when he comes home, she's just like, oh, I had to discipline the kids. They listen and they like, they listen to her. And then he doesn't question it because he's like, well, she took care of it. Like she's, she's here with the kids. She took care of it. It's not a big deal. And I can see her not necessarily elaborating on, well, how she disciplined them. So you have to consider this wasn't, I don't know if he and the biological mom were ever married but this wasn't his first relationship. He's depending on this woman to take care of what's not her biological child. And he mm-hmm. probably feeling in a way at her mercy because without her, he has to pay for child right. care. 
helper, you know, and I think in a lot of abusive relationships, it kind of can go both ways, financial reasons and things like that. The fact that they take care of your kids, like those factors play in on why you might stay with someone. But I do want to insert the grandmother at some point because I did interview the grandmother. And like we mentioned before, Skylie would run to the grandmas a lot. And the grandma toyed with custody, I think. Like, I think she wanted to take her more often. And the stepmom wouldn't allow that to happen. I don't remember if she said that on the air or, but I do know that in some realm, she was really, really close with Skylie. And I think that was a really important relationship was that grandmother relationship. And that was Skylie's father's mom, the grandma. So, but yeah, we'll talk about that a little bit later. But yeah, it's hard to say, but that is definitely the first question that comes to your mind is where was the dad? Here's how things kind of unraveled for Amanda Carmack. The timeline is actually pretty tight and shout out to the Indie Star for helping lay it all out for us. But Kevin spoke to Skylie on the afternoon of Saturday, August 31st, around 3.30 p.m. One of Skylie's siblings said that Skylie was in their shared room when she went for a bike ride around 4 p.m. When she returned from the bike ride around 6 p.m., Skylie was no longer in her room. And we already know from the autopsy that she was killed between 4.30 and 6.30. That night, Amanda spoke with Kevin on the phone and told him Skylie ran away. He then urged her to call the police. So around 9 p.m. Saturday night, Amanda reported Skylie missing. The next day, Sunday, September 1st, all the family and potential witnesses were interviewed. Amanda Carmack denied hitting Skylie or other kids with a belt, but she did admit to slapping Skylie in the face for admittedly stealing a charm bracelet from another child in the home. Monday, September 2nd, the massive search parties were launched by police. Amanda was nowhere to be found. Tuesday, September 3rd, the family is re-interviewed. Amanda Carmack is given a polygraph test and fails. Just after midnight on Wednesday, September 4th, Amanda walked into the Gas City Police Department and confessed to killing Skylie. She said she didn't remember all the details, but remembers being on top of the girl in the barn shed area and choking her with her hands. She She also mentioned she thought she tied something around Skylie's neck. Around 3 a.m. on Wednesday, police found Skylie's body curled tight in the bottom of a trash bag in the shed. A pair of multicolored pants were knotted around her neck. Officials said Amanda wouldn't explain why she killed Skylie other than she was very angry. That same week, Amanda Carmack was formally charged in Skylie's murder. Prosecutors said they would seek life in prison without parole. During her initial hearing, Amanda waived her right to counsel She said she didn't need a lawyer and instead she would represent herself. To quote Dodgeball, bold strategy, Cotton, let's see if it pays off. And as if this story wasn't crazy enough, that tidbit really catapulted into national media. ABC News, Fox News, and People Magazine were among those that picked up on the story. Clearly someone was able to talk some sort of sense into Amanda because just a few weeks later she was assigned a public defender who promptly filed a mental illness defense. In early January, a Grant County judge shot that down, saying that Amanda was competent to stand trial, and at that point, the trial was set for 
February of 2020 in Grant County. There were continuances, and then the coronavirus pandemic hit. The strained court system tried to get this case through. Amanda's trial started on October 19th, but was almost instantly delayed when three people connected to the court proceedings tested positive for COVID-19. A judge in the case then called for a recess, hoping to resume the trial a few days later, but then a spouse of another person connected to the trial tested positive. At that point, people were told to quarantine for 10 to 14 days. Because this person was so critical in the trial process, the judge declared a mistrial, citing manifest necessity. They said the 24-day delay between the four people impacted would be inappropriate. So then we kind of had to start the whole court process all over again. A pre-trial conference for the case was reset for the end of November 2020. The trial ultimately didn't get scheduled until August of the following year, nearly two full years after Skyly was found dead. That's crazy. It's really crazy. Ugh. And we've we've covered a couple of other cases where COVID has impacted the court system like this and really made it hard to close these cases up. Amanda was called by the defense to the stand on the opening day of the trial. Another very bold strategy that true crime lovers know almost never works. Wave News reports that Amanda's attorney claimed Skyly murder was not premeditated because Amanda was suffering from worsening migraines and depression in the weeks leading up to the murder, essentially pushing that narrative that she snapped. But Wayne TV reports the tipping point in Amanda's testimony was during the cross-examination. Prosecutor Scott Hunt asked Amanda about her killing Skyly. During her re- response, she said, quote, things happen. Oh my God. Y- you know that shit pissed her attorney off. <laughs> Wayne TV said the prosecution appeared visibly frustrated after that response. So, not looking good. The trial spanned a week, but deliberations took less than three hours for the jury to find Amanda Carmack guilty on all four counts. Those charges ended up being for murder, strangulation, neglect of a dependent resulting in death, and domestic battery resulting in death to a person under 14. The jury recommended life in prison without parole. On September 15th, 2021, a judge upheld the recommendation during Amanda's sentencing. Because (laughs) Amanda saw her, her lawyer immediately responded saying they would be appealing the sentencing. So after admitting to murdering her daughter, she decided to waste even more time of the police, court, and justice system because this shit just wrapped up at the beginning of this year. The Indiana Supreme Court. Oh my God, don't even get me started. Like, and for the family, too, like, they have to continue to relive this over and over and over because this bitch won't just sit quietly in prison. Come on. Yes. The Uh. Indiana Supreme Court agreed to hear Amanda Carmack's appeal. The attorney argued Amanda acted in a sudden heat of rage when she killed Skyly and should be instead charged with voluntary manslaughter. The attorney also decided to victim blame a 10-year-old, saying Skyly's behavior, behavior pushed her stepmother to a, quote, breaking point as Amanda was caring for and homeschooling seven children. But guess what? 
you chose that life. You chose to have kids. You chose to take in your brother's kids and marry a man who had a child from a previous relationship. You chose to be a parent and kids aren't going to be perfect angels all the time. That doesn't mean that you can just murder them and be like, well, she was bad and pushed me to do it. That is your problem as an adult. You get professional help or you call in assistance. You don't beat your kids. You don't murder them. That's absolutely insane. This wasn't a, in the moment she said something so horrible I hit her she accidentally fell back and hit her head and she died this was that's what I was gonna say really this was she grabbed pants to tie around her neck that takes thought that takes like you had to think that you were doing that this wasn't an impulse kill a you knew what you were doing kill and strangling takes minutes like you can decide at any point to stop what you are doing after you quote unquote snap and be like oh this is not good I should not be doing this let me let go of the throat like it's strangling is not snapping I do not buy it and also Mm -hmm. is there anything in the system like I don't know I forget all of her charges but she also covered it up like she put her in a trash did all these like when you snap and you come to like you should be like oh my god you know I, I I I gotta do something, you know, leave her. Yeah, you call 911 and say, hey, I need help. My daughter's not breathing because I did this. Yeah. Yeah, that was maybe she was still alive. You don't know. Like, so I don't know. I just feel like that excuse. I'm so glad that she didn't get away with the snapped narrative because so clearly not that case. The Indiana Supreme Court did not let that shit fly. In January of 2023 this year, the they upheld the original sentencing. They ruled the killing did not meet the standard for sudden heat. And here's what the court wrote. It's basically what I just said, but in much more professional tone and verbiage. (laughs) The ruling reads, quote, at most, Carmack's subjective parenting issues with her stepdaughter could have been addressed through rote disciplinary measures, not strangulation. Nothing about these facts suggests that she was adequately provoked. The biggest point the high court made was that Amanda had a cooling off period. Amanda called Kevin around 3.30 about Skyly's behavior. Remember, he was in the car and that was the last time he spoke to his daughter. But Skyly wasn't murdered until at least four. 30. So that means there wasn't immediate action. She waited at least an hour before strangling her. So to wrap this all so bye. up. So in bad. my opinion, Amanda Carmack will live out the rest of her days in a prison cell where she belongs. Skyly was just a little girl who likely acted out because of her home situation. She was living with six step-siblings and cousins. Her father was gone a lot for work, and her stepmother was prone to dishing out cruel and unusual punishment because she couldn't handle parenting that many children. Skyly was a normal girl who did not deserve this treatment, and my heart breaks knowing the details of her short life. I think it's understandable why this case received coverage at both the local and national level. This was a huge story statewide. It also is always horrifying and shocking when a child dies, especially at the hands of what should have been a trusted adult in their life. Amanda Carmack also serves as a perfect villain for the public. It appeared she couldn't care less about Skyly even before her evilness shone through. She couldn't even put 
put on a front and participate in search parties. I think she truly felt justified in her stance that Skylie pushed her over the edge. I mean, she got on the stand and basically said, like, shit happens and just expected the jury to be like, yeah, girl, we get it. Yeah, girl, I agree with you. No. That's not gonna happen. Local stations statewide did a great job of continuing coverage on this case, especially because Gas City is in a fringe county. So technically it's in the Indianapolis market, but it's right on the border of Fort Wayne's market. So Kayla and a lot of other reporters were trekking 160 miles round trip every day to turn these stories. It was one of those Indiana cases that pulled interest statewide. So I saw a lot of stories in like South Bend, Evansville, as well in bordering states like Ohio and Kentucky. So I totally understand why this case got a lot of attention. I'm not sure I would say that it blew up to be one of those cult cases that you hear about all the time, but it definitely received attention on the national level. I'm very curious to see what Kayla's closing thoughts are after, because I'm not sure if you were following the court proceedings. Yeah, well, I was so in the thick of COVID politics coverage that I didn't. And and honestly, I regret not doing that. But you know how it is in news. You, you just, there's so much going on. So I had gone into the thick of politics by time this all, I mean, gosh, it just wrapped up what this year. What I did want to mention before we close out the grandma story that I was going to share with you guys, because she was so kind to speak with us on camera and and share her regrets about not reporting more of what she had seen. And I had told her, it's totally up to you whether you want to share this, but she had done it under the understanding that this may help someone in the future. And so she was wanting to make sure that other grandparents or other people that love people report these situations because she heard little snippets of what might be abuse. Obviously, she didn't know what was going on fully, but she said that there were, quote, red flags. And so we did that story at Fox 59, and I felt horrible because they ended up contacting me later that people were sending her horrible messages saying that it was her fault. And I was like, ah, man, people suck. You know, like this woman was trying Mm -hmm. to share a message. And I, I mean, I remember I posted a status like, come on, you guys, like be, be in awe of this woman for her bravery to even admit these things in the event that it helps save other kids' lives. She loved this little girl. I cried. I felt terrible because I played a role in this woman getting even more grief during grief. And that's something that you have to weigh as a reporter, right? Like, is this going to cause more harm than good? And I'll never know how many people she helped. I want to believe that she helped people. I want to believe that by seeing that story, she helped people. But I also know the fact that she got hurt even more as a result of me sharing that story. So I think if I were to do it all over again, I would have emphasized that if you go on the record with me, this may have lost me the interview, but I should have emphasized that if you go on the record with me, you may see this reaction from the public because people suck. And don't take that to heart. Here are the benefits, here are the negatives. And I wish I would have done that because she may have made another decision and and that's up to her. But I don't think she knew at the time that that was going to be the response from the public. And I think it made her hurt even more. And for that, I apologize. If she ever were to listen to this, this keeps me up at night still because I hate that that story caused her more 
pain when she was already going through so much pain. So if you're a reporter listening to the story, learn from that mistake too, if you haven't already. Make sure that people know there are consequences to going on the record. And sometimes that means hateful messages. And you've got to be ready for that. And you've got to believe in your mission to help people by sharing. And you've got to be okay with that. So I think that's the one big lesson that I took away from that story was make sure that anybody going on the record with me knows the ups and downs of going on the record. It's a good lesson. And I mean, it sucks because like you said, you did this, there was no malicious intent whatsoever. You were trying to be like, hey, if you are a family member and you notice things that she noticed, just step in. And I mean, people are assholes, even fluff stories. So you're going to get backlash on any story you do, no matter what the message is, no matter who's in it. So it just kind of sucks that we have to have those conversations because when people are online and they're behind a computer, they're anonymous and they feel brave and they say things. So yeah, it just sucks because that was, I mean, I think it's a very good message to share because some people might be like, well, I'm noticing this, but do I want to cause trouble? Like, is it actually happening? Are my kids overreacting? But I mean, you can take it from the grandmother. She deeply regrets not saying anything and it's not on her. She did not kill Skyly. She did not cause this to happen. She was just trying to act on instinct, probably trying to keep boundaries in place. Like, am I going too far? Yeah. He would get punished by the stepmom and the stepmom would stop. Yeah. He had that to weigh too. But also, even if she would have contacted CPS, who's to say CPS would have found anything? Who's to say it would have even come from the investigation? So you just don't know. But at the same time, that message of reported anyway is so important because you never know until there's an investigation. And then even sometimes you still don't know. But at least at the end of the day, you can say, I reported it. I did my part. Anybody listening to this, maybe Skyly's story can still save a life by us sharing this podcast. If you notice something sketchy in your neighborhood or somebody or you witness something in public, report it because at the very least, the investigation is done and it's not on your hands anymore. Yeah. Yep. One of the things that's really great about the true crime community is that, I mean, it's very, very easy to hear a story like this and immediately get outraged. It is so easy to get so upset, but I think a lot of the people in the true crime community also understand that you never know how you would react in that situation. If it was really you in in that person's shoes, hindsight is always 2020. You're always going to look mm-hmm. back and see red flags that you wish you would have seen before. But also, I'm thinking that grandmother, she cared for Skylie so much. She was probably thinking, I don't want to make this situation worse for her. It's already hard. What if right. I do something and it, it gets worse. We have a court system that isn't perfect. What is she going to do? Try to take her grandkid away from her dad? Try to remove her from that household? That that may not be the best situation. You never know what's going to happen or if you try to do something, sometimes it can blow back in your face. And Or like you said, you call CPS and they, they don't find anything. And then you have a daughter-in-law and potentially your son who's upset with you so there are so many circumstances that that could happen that you you don't know how something's gonna pan out and you really can't place judgment on anyone because you don't know what you would do in that situation either so I really appreciate you saying that because it is important for people to think about yeah and I think that's one thing we can do I think in the sources we can post I know there are signs of child abuse that you can look out for so we can post some of those in the show notes and in the sources and 
might be protecting someone like the grandma who would have repercussions if she recorded it. But if you're the neighbor and you, you know, like sometimes those are the right record it because they don't have any repercussions from their action. It could even be anonymous. I'm glad that we're talking about this. I wish this was something that I could have done on the news. <laughs> you know, like mm. back then, I wish I could have just been like, you guys stop doing this. You know, I, I, we, <laughs> <laughs> there are so many fine lines that you have to walk when you are in news, especially when you're an on-air personality. Everything you mm-hmm. do and say is perceived a certain way and you don't want anyone to think of you poorly or think that you can't do your job. And so those lines are sides. Really, Yeah, <laughs> those lines are really fine and they are hard harder and harder it seems to navigate in our evolving world so it's a hard job it really is tough i really respect the people that are still doing it i think a lot of us have left for the reasons that we've explained and i don't miss it I'm grateful I got to do it, but I'm more grateful for the people still doing it in these trying times in a world where broadcast media is not paying them what they deserve, is not giving them what they deserve. And I just want anybody knowing that is a journalist, like I'm behind you 100%. And I really hope that trust in journalism grows and doesn't continue to diminish because I know a lot of really good journalists that are doing the best they can and got into it for the right reason. Thank you so much for giving us some of your time Kayla it was so nice to have you fill in some of the the gaps that really provided some great extra context to the story and always nice having someone who was there firsthand to talk about what it's like to cover these stories our perspective as producers is definitely different than the people who are out there in the field we really appreciate you being a guest and we love you love you too As former journalists, we want to give credit where credit is due for this episode. I got my information from The Daily Mail, People Magazine, Fox 59, WTHR, ABC 57, WNDU, WHAS, Wayne TV, NBC Fort Wayne, The Indy Star, The Associated Press, KOTV, Crime Online, and The New York Post. We will have a complete list of our sources in our show notes. Please make sure to check them out. Bye. Bye. Did you know Scotland's official national animal is the unicorn? Nuh-uh. Yeah-huh. It has to be a real animal. Google it. I am. I'm going to fact check you right now. Don't worry, I fact-checked myself because I was like, that's bullshit. That's not real. (laughs) The unicorn is first mentioned in a long-lost book about India, about 400 BC, and eventually is adopted as Scotland's national animal in the 15th century. Fuck that, Scotland. Goddamn (laughs) you. I gotta go. I gotta go. (laughs) 